Good morning. Glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Jonah chapter 2. If you don't, then you're going to be able to follow along on the, uh, on the screen because we will read from uh, that section and this will allow you to be kind of part of this. Um, Chris is still in here, so I want to say this for his benefit. You know, uh, Chris doesn't have the same kind of access to me as, a, uh, as he would to a senior pastor. So sometimes he has to just fly by whatever I've written down on the pieces of paper that I have uh, emailed to him in putting together the, uh, the times of musical worship. And this morning's uh, musical worship set is especially good for what we're talking about today. Uh, I think that uh, when you have the opportunity, just say thank you to him. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, people will say to me, well, you know, you have the singing just as preliminaries so that we can get to the preaching. I don't think of it that way. Um, I think of it as, as the, the preparation to allow us to hear what God has to say. Uh, having preached for many, many years first time I preached, I was 16 years of age, and uh, now I'm 18, and it's many, many years. I can tell you that there are services that I've preached in where it wasn't well prepared by what came before the time that I was to get up to preach. It's hard, hard work when that happens. I, I don't think it's going to be that way today. In fact, I know it's not because this is the second service that we're going through. So you ready? Here we go. You've never heard a bigger fish story than this one. Yeah, I know. You hear all kinds of interesting fish stories. Uh, He goes out fishing, and when he gets home, his fishing basket has a few fish about this long in it. But when he starts to tell all of the uh, guys, you you overhear him telling them, and uh, they're not this long, they're this long. And uh, you say, oh, you know, I, I don't know who can ever believe a fish story. Well, this is a fish story you can believe. This is a big fish. Uh, Jonah didn't uh, consider capturing this one and mounting it on a wall plaque to put up on the, the wall so that he'd be able to prove to everybody. I'm not sure that the fish didn't consider doing that with Jonah, but uh, the reality is this fish story is true. You recall, let me just kind of reset the scene for us, that Jonah tries to run away from the presence of the Lord. He's making a big effort to get someplace where God isn't, which is kind of a stupid decision on his part because, quite frankly, there's no place you can go that you can get away from God. He gets on board this ship. He goes down inside of it and goes to sleep. They start on the journey, and there's a storm. Now, this just isn't a little storm. Uh, this is, uh, I guess you could call it the perfect storm. And the reason why I say that is because it was God who chose to send it. And it was perfectly prepared for the event that was going on. When they finally do get Jonah awake, they say to him, you need to pray to your God like we've been praying to our gods because uh, this isn't getting any better. It's getting worse. And so... Jonah tells them who his God is. They find out that he's the God who created the sea, and the, and the sailors are, are really, really quite upset. 
upset because they've angered the God of the seas. Hmm. And worse yet, the guy who says he believes in the God of the seas is sleeping. Well, you know the story. He tells them what they need to do is they need to pitch him overboard. They don't want to do that. They try every way possible to keep that from happening. But finally, they have to pick him up and toss him over the side. Now, I'm not sure how long it took him to go from the top of the side down into the ocean. But I can tell you that whether the storm stopped as soon as he went over the side or whether it was when he hit the water, the storm stopped rather suddenly. I'm sure Jonah was thinking, this is good. Well, not so good, but it's a whole lot better than it was going to be when we were on our way to the bottom and we were all going to drown. I'm going to swim to shore, but he can't. And God sends a big fish. We read about that in verse number 17 of chapter 1, which really becomes the basis upon which we are going to talk about what we're going to talk about in Jonah chapter 2 today. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Hebrew is very picturesque. I'm going to ask you at various times to picture things this morning as we are going through it. Picture it in your mind. If you need to close your eyes to do that, please go ahead. Don't go to sleep on me, though. Close your eyes and picture it. Here Jonah is, and all of a sudden, and he's down in the belly of that great big old fish. Now, if it were me, if I were the one that were down there, I'd be yelling, Help, Lord! And just in case you didn't hear, let me say it again. And I would say it however many times until I thought he was listening. That isn't exactly the way it happens here in the book of Jonah. Now, what we have recorded for us in chapter 2 is not just, you know, a flowery way of saying what Jonah was saying when he was saying, help, Lord. And we're going to look at it in detail, but before we do that, let's pray. God, would you guide us? Would you help me to be able to preach? Lord, I'm going to do it in a bunch of different ways this morning, but I pray that truth will dawn upon the hearts of each of us who are here. Help us, Lord, not to see this as some musty old story from way back. Help us to realize that it's a story for right now, and it's a story that is for me. Help us to picture ourselves in the position of Jonah. Yeah, we've tried to run away from your presence. We haven't maybe been sent to Nineveh. <laughs> I was talking with a family last night, Lord, whose son was in Mosul, in, in Nineveh. <laughs> a number of, number of months back. What, a, what an experience. But we're going to learn some things about us today, Lord. Help me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want you to do with me is look at verse number 1 of Jonah chapter 2. Now, I'm going to do a reading, really, is what I'm going to do this morning, and make comments as we go through. Rather than, if you're used to taking down my outline, which I try to keep quite well hidden, uh, because I don't think outlines are the most important things. I think it's the meat that goes on the skeleton that's important. So we're going to do it as a Bible reading this morning, and I want you to see what it says. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. 
If you're in the habit of marking in your Bibles, will you take your pencil or your pen or your marker and mark the word then? I want you to notice with me that as you're looking at this story, I realize that it's not a lot of verses into the book of Jonah, but it's quite a period of time from when Jonah first decides that he's going to run away from the presence of the Lord until this moment. But you will look in vain to see that Jonah prayed before this. Now, I need to say to you that as a prophet of God, he had learned not only to declare the message of God, he had learned how to meditate upon the things that God wanted him to talk about. He'd learned how to pray a long time ago. He'd been praying his whole life. But when he made the decision to run away from the presence of God, one of the ways that he chose to try to run away from the presence of God was to stop praying. That's always a dangerous thing to do. Because God is going to put a then into your life when you are refusing to do what it is he's asking you to do. And for Jonah, the then came when he finds himself in the belly of the great fish. Now, he didn't sit down in the easy chair and put his feet up on the ottoman and say, I'll turn the telly on and and watch the latest news broadcast or... Uh, watch the latest reality show. Uh, He was the news broadcast. He was the reality show. And he was down there amongst the weeds, and he was all bound up inside those weeds in that messy belly of that great fish. And he's got nothing else to do. He's got no options. I mean, he can't say, well, I'm going to go down and see whether Pekin wins their next football game since they made the playoffs. He doesn't have any options. There he is, in the belly of the great fish. And then he decides to pray. So early at the beginning of my sermon this morning, what I want to say to you is this. We need to recognize that there are circumstances that come in our lives by God's allowance that are intended to cause us to stop from where we are in trying to do what we want to do, in trying to choose our own options to bring us to the place where then happens and where we will cry out to God. Some of you have come this morning. Your lives have been beat up pretty badly this week. I have no idea what the things are, but they, they haven't been good. You came to church and you said, I, I kind of hope something good's going to happen. I know that loudmouth's going to get up there and preach again, so it's probably not going to happen from that. But maybe there'll be a song or something. But realize this is your then. This is where we want you to cry out to God. So let's take a look at Jonah's prayer. Because it is a fervent prayer. You know what a fervent prayer is where you begin to pray and you pray with every ounce of your fiber and every ounce of your being because you're out of options and you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do other than to maybe say, God, if you can, will you listen to me? Will you act on my behalf? And this is what it says in verse 2. I called out to the Lord. I called out to Yahweh out of my distress. Well, I won't pray again, Don, until I get my life straightened out. When things are going better, then I'll, then I'll pray. 
The best time to pray, and by the way, one of the reasons God allows the circumstance is to get us extended to the end of ourselves where we will, where we will just cry out to God. Oh, but we should pray more spiritual prayers than these. I agree we should. But the reality is most of us don't get around to the sincere prayers until we get to the desperate prayers. And so what he says is, I cried out to the Lord in my distress. And what does it say? Will you say it to me? What does it say in the text? And he answered me. When you're trying to run away from God, yeah, you you do the ditty prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I awake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. God bless mommy. God bless daddy. Amen. Now I understand when children play that way. They don't maybe know any otherwise. But, But there's a little baby over here. And there's some young children back here, maybe back there. But we're all grown up. When we're praying our little ditty prayers, we're not going to get much done. We actually don't even believe what we prayed. But here's what happens. He prays, and what does it say? Who answered? Who answered? He is in the text, but who is it that answered? God. Yahweh. The big God. I'm not trying to be trite in saying that. I'm, I'm trying to help us to realize that that's who you pray to. A big God who has great power, who is able to answer. Now what I want you to notice next is where controversy begins to happen in the text. You see, anytime we have a Bible text that's going to give us something that is solid, that we can put our, we can put our stake deep in, then the so-called theologians are going to come along and cause all kinds of difficulty. What does it say? Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, if you have a King James Version, it will say, Out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. Oh, there's something wrong here. Contradiction between the King James and the ESV. Nah. The Hebrew is talking about the place of the grave. For a person who has rejected Jesus Christ, the hell that would be considered here is the place of the grave, where you go when you die. Well, I think we should get this thing settled. I want you to understand that when Jesus talks about this passage in Matthew, he does not put the emphasis upon the place. He puts the emphasis upon the period of time, three days and three nights. So let's bump up to that in our thinking and not get taken up with trying to argue about every little detail, every little nuance, because the details and nuances will only take away the truth of what it is we're trying to see. There's another controversy that goes along with this, and it's this one. Did Jonah die when he was in the belly of the great fish? Or didn't he? Now... This morning, let me say to you, I remember when I was in Bible college, we spent one whole class on trying to decide whether Jonah died or whether he didn't die. The reality is, 
Does it matter? I'm not meaning to soften or to weaken or to compromise the message. Find out which one you believe. Believe it. But the reality is that what God wanted Jonah to do was to cry out to him. From the place where he had nothing as an option but to die, he wanted him to cry out to God. Ever feel like your circumstances so bad that there, you, you don't have any choices? But you can cry out to God. And so that's what he does. Look what happens in the text. He, t- he then describes what happens to him. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. In other words, I, I'm, under the, I'm under the surface of the, uh, of the, of the ocean, What am I going to do? Then he says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Oh, this is interesting. See, again, we're going to spend our time saying, it's picturesque language, Don. Well, there are pictures in it, that's absolutely sure. But the thing that strikes me as I look at this is, Jonah's place that he considered the, his favorite place in his life was actually in Jerusalem, at the location that we know as the Temple Mount, where the temple was, where he would go to make sacrifices, where he would go uh, to worship God, where he would go for any number of other reasons. That was his enjoyable place. Now he finds himself down in the bottom of the ocean with no hope, no options, in a desperate situation, and... Uh, He's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, I understand. You're going to bring me back to the place where I'm going to see that holy temple again. Interesting. How do we get to that? Did he just come to that by happenstance? No. It suggests to me that as he is down here praying to God, that there is a communion, a, a back and forth that is going on between God and Jonah. Now in our day, we talk about this and we say, when I pray, I talk to God. When I read the Bible, God talks to me. And I think we limit God way too much. Now, I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this particular point other than to simply say this. When Jonah went over the side of the ship, he didn't have his Bible with him. But he had enough sense to allow God to speak to him as he was praying. Stop and let God impress upon you the truth that is contained in his word. Because you see, it is God who's going to determine the next steps anyway. And so he says, I'm go- I am going to be able to look upon your holy temple. Then he goes on to describe it a little bit farther. Verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, when I told you about the weeds earlier, you weren't sure that I was not making up a piece here. Weeds were wrapped about my head. He says in verse 6, At the roots of the mountain, the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Hmm. Down Down where the base of the mountains are, 
that's where I was. I mean, he's telling us he's way in the deep. What happens? Then he says, verse 6, the tail end, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In prospect rather than retrospect, he is looking to what God is about to do, which only God can do, and that he has to have God do if there's going to be any possibility of him being able to live for very much longer. Friend, your circumstance is larger than life. It's got you so that you are in such a hard spot. You don't know where to go. Turn to Jesus. Why? Because when we turn to Jesus, we find out there's another part to the story. And the part to the story goes well beyond just the simple circumstances of our lives. He says in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. When the burden gets so heavy that I can't bear it, remember the Lord. And my prayer came up to you into your holy temple, into the place of your presence. You see, he was running from the presence of God, so he thought. But even as he was in the belly's the fish's belly in the bottom of the ocean, he couldn't get away from God. Nor can you, nor can I. And the sooner we learn that, the better it's going to be for us. So let's look and see what happens. He says, verse 8, those who pay regard to idols and so on. He's just been with a bunch on the ship who threw him overboard. He's trying to run away to a place where that's going to happen. We say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run away from the presence of God. This happens sometimes to men who hit what we call their uh, middle-aged crisis. They have family responsibilities. They have work responsibilities. They have financial responsibilities. And they're fed up with life. And they feel like there's nothing. And so they run. They're running away from their wife. They're running away from their family. They're running away from their obligations. They're trying to run away from God, and they say, I'm going to go to a place. I'm going to go to a place where God isn't. Many times, I I, I never forget, when I was here, I, I had a motorcycle, and I went on a long motorcycle ride, and one of the places that I ended up on that motorcycle ride was in the great American city. Do you know where that is, anybody? Where is it? New Orleans. The great American city. I hope it's not the great American city. I'm tooling down the street in New Orleans, and there are prostitutes standing out there on the street propositioning me as I'm driving by. Ah, Run from the presence of God. You're not going to be able to do it. And he says, these people have done that. That's what I've tried to do. But he says, you have reduced me to the place where I have nowhere to turn but to you best possible place to be. So look what happens. Look at verse number 9. This verse so much appears to be out of place. Remember my, my prayer at the beginning? Lord, help! Well, he has repented. He has begun to deal with his sin. 
And verse 9 says this, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Can you say thank you to God for allowing you, when you make those mistakes, get into sinful things, can you thank God that he has demonstrated both his presence and his power in, in, in remarkable ways to get our attention to bring us back? Say, I don't think that's what happens. If that's what you think, just wait. Lord, would you help them to see in remarkable ways your presence and your power? Would you help them to understand that the circumstance that they are using to try to hide from you is really allowed by you to lovingly draw them back? Once you are restored, now we're going to find out that Jonah still has a few things he's going to have to deal with here, but once you are restored through repentance to the place where you ought to be, you know what's interesting? You will hear people say, I thank God for his deliverance. I thank God that in spite of my bad choices, even my sinful choices, that God was able to use that to bring me to the place where I had to depend upon him. And he concludes that by saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. Where are you going to find what you need for all of that stuff that's going on in your life, that junk that you'd like to get out of your life, those things that you'd like to have victory from, those besetting sins that have just clawed into you and are hanging on? Where are you going to find any help? Salvation belongs to Yahweh. doesn't belong to First Baptist Church. doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. So run to him. Because as you run to him, you will find that he has blessing and restoration for you. So now we come to the verse that I like. Verse number 10. You see it there? And the Lord spoke to the fish. And the fish had a little bit of upset stomach. Take some Pepto-Bismol fish. Huh. I know, hey mothers, if you need to, put your fingers in the kids' ears. Before you do that, you know, we all, if we've had children and or if we have grandchildren. We all remember those days when we'd feed them and whatever went down came back up. <laughs> we soon learned that you had to uh, not have your nicest go out to have a lovely evening with your spouse clothes on. The interesting thing is that if you have more than one child or grandchild, you'll usually find that one spits on you and, oh, she spit up. And we daub it all up and we kind of wash them off and we go on. But then there's the other one. I mean, man, it's like 
It's like they can manufacture more than you put down there. And they have projectile vomiting that goes clear across the room. I mean, man, they can hit, they can hit somebody on the other side of the room without even trying. God gave the fish projectile vomiting. It didn't just go, oh, there's Jonah. <laughs> Jonah came out and everything else that was done in the fish's belly came out right on top of him. It was smelly. It was a mess. But what I want you to understand out of this is when we are in our circumstances that seem to have us so wrapped up, so taken, that we can't even look for anything. And then when God brings us out of it, you know, we all want it to be so nice and packaged up like a Christmas package. You don't want a Christmas package from me. My two-year-old grandson could wrap a present better than I can. Well, this one didn't come out all wrapped up neat because Jonah needed to recognize that he had a responsibility to God. He needed to listen to God. He needed to act the way God wanted him to. And God, listen, 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 God often uses natural circumstances to accomplish the things that he wants us to learn. So when it's messy, we God, I didn't want it to be messy. Everybody's going to look at me and say, oh, he stinks. Look at all that mess all over him. Do you think he's going to get up and come over here and talk to us? But I leave you with this to be able to then say to you, out of all of this, the toughness of a circumstance that just doesn't, well, it ends up differently than we expected, but it isn't all, all nice and neat and clean. To get you ready for, Jonah gets a second chance. You know, there are some of you who are sitting here this morning. And you're saying, Don, if you knew my life, if you knew the things that had happened to me, if you know the sinful way that I had acted if you knew the way people had treated me, you'd understand why I sit on the sidelines because God can't use me anymore. People who have been unfaithful to their spouse, people who have had broken marriage or marriages, people who have become alcoholics because of overindulgence when it comes to alcoholic beverages. And their lives are just kind of messed up royally. People who are addicted to cocaine. The ones that the fire department have to carry that special little pen for. You've been in that group. And you say, God can't use me. When I go to church, the preacher tells me God can't use me. The rules of the church tell me that God can't use me. 
and us self-righteous Pharisees uh, make certain that they learn that lesson early. But the only thing that keeps a person from restoration is an unwillingness to receive the redemption, and I'm not just talking about salvation, that God has provided. Are there consequences to my sin? Look, if I have drank myself into oblivion and destroyed my liver, then I'm probably going to have that kind of result in my life for the rest of my life. But does that mean that God could never use me again? And I think Jonah sits there in that mess on that seashore with the need to make a decision. Did God redeem me or didn't he? Did God redeem me only so that I always and forever sit on the seats at church wishing that there was something more? Or did he actually give us the opportunity? Well, the truth is, he does give us the opportunity, the second chance. Now, for a number of reasons, I'll never run a marathon race. Well, unless he allows me to run a marathon race, then God can't use me. No. God can continue to use me, even though I can't run a marathon race. Oh, I do in my dreams. And I always say to myself, I wonder how this is happening. I think it's God's way, not of, not of plaguing me, but of reminding me that God is able to do what God chooses to do if my heart is repentant. And that's the point that we want to learn from Jonah this morning. So what's your excuse? What's the circumstance you're hiding behind? What's the thing that you need to do? Do it today before we leave. Hey, I'll tell you, whatever regurgitation takes place, it probably won't be quite as messy as it was for Jonah. But God will bring restoration. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? God, our Father, there are some of us here in the room who need to hear this message. Actually, Lord, all of us do. But there are some of us who need to realize that you want to do a significant work in us today. Lord, do that work. Help us to understand that we were in this place to hear this sermon this morning so that you could speak to us, so that you could draw us And in drawing us, we could be restored. We could have that second chance. And Lord, there's someone here who needs the second chance, and we're thankful that they're going to get that second chance. May they do better than Jonah with their second chance, but may they realize that God is the one who gives that second chance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.